Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of deals, mergers, and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Thanks for listening. Three different deals I'd like to talk about for this week. It was a, It has been a busy week this past week. Two in the retail sector and one in the media sector. I'm talking about Sycamore Partners buying the iconic office supplies company Staples for $6.9 billion. That's deal number one. Deal number two, Walgreens announcing it has scrapped its plan to acquire all of Rite Aid, instead buying about 2,200 of the rival drugstore chain stores for $5.2 billion. That original deal was about $9.5 billion. And then the third deal, not all that much new news on it, but that is the story in itself. Fox, in its attempt to buy the 61% of Sky, the UK media company, uh, that it doesn't already own. Uh, that decision, from a regulator standpoint, has been pushed off. That's the news. That there, the decision on whether or not to allow that deal has been punted to later this year. So, joining me to talk about all three of those deals is Bloomberg M&A reporter, my colleague Ed Hammond. Hey, Ed. Hey, good to be here. All right, let's start with Staples. Uh, so, Staples being acquired by Sycamore Partners, a New York-based private equity firm. Uh, you know, give us sort of the lowdown on 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 the whole Staples saga, going back to when it tried to merge with Office Depot and failed, and now why this deal is getting done now. Yeah, so it tried to merge with Office Depot actually twice in its history. Once a long time ago, about twenty years ago, and then much more recently, it tried sort of within the last eighteen months to do a merger with Office Depot. It was blocked on um, antitrust grounds. The idea was essentially that if you put these two big office suppliers together, they would have too much power over their customers. Their argument, which actually had a lot of traction, was that, look, the game has changed. No longer do people go to shops like Staples and Office Depots to buy office supplies. They go to Amazon primarily, but also other online retailers where you can you know, you can buy everything you want for an office in terms of sort of small stuff from pens right the way up to you know, desks and filing cabinets, etc. Ever since that deal fell apart, it was kind of known in the market that Staples would have to do something because it is just a, it, not a dying business, but it was a business that was really struggling and it had pressures from all sides. So some point last year, it kind of became obvious that Staples was going to run a sale process for itself. There were various buyers, I think mostly private equity buyers, partly because there were no strategic buyers that could do it on antitrust grounds. They would have been blocked. And then we've now seen Sycamore last night sort of agreed to acquire it for almost $7 billion, which is a pretty serious price, considering this brand is seen to be fairly um, embattled. And um, I think Sycamore have come out and, and said it was an iconic brand, which is an interesting thing. I suppose Staples is iconic, but it's also kind of iconically uh, underwhelming, at least in the last few years. Sure. I mean, not, not too many people, at least from an individual consumer basis, are buying printer cartridges anymore, which was the main reason I went into Staples Precisely. over and over again 10 years ago. And in fact, if you look at the 10-year chart, Staples is trading well below where it was once trading around you know $28 a share. So this deal getting done at $10.25 per share, although that is actually a little higher than where, where Staples had been trading earlier this year, and in fact is a 12% premium to its share price just this past week on Tuesday. Uh, so so maybe in the end, you know, the, the investors that stuck with Staples uh, can see this as somewhat of a positive outcome, that they're at least getting something for, for a business that seems seriously challenged. I think that's right. Absolutely right. I mean, look, this is one where the number of buyers had fallen away quite dramatically over the past few months, and I think we had reported about a month ago that it was really just uh, it was between state it was between Sycamore, sorry, and uh, Cerberus. They were the only parties left in the process, and we said Cerberus had had a bid rejected. So really, it was kind of Sycamore's to lose. 
I think at that point there was an expectation that this wouldn't get a huge price because you just didn't have the traction there in the auction. So to get the price they've got, as you say, this kind of 12% premium, $6.9 billion takeout price, it's it's pretty substantial. I think the investors will be happy. I think the advisors who worked for uh, Staples are probably getting a, a pretty serious pat on the back for this. This seems like a good price for, a, for an asset that, as I say, has been struggling for some time. And it's unclear how you turn Staples around and make it successful just because you have the presence of people like Amazon who are taking market share from everyone in this space. Well, that, that's sort of my next question on this one, which is, so, so Sycamore owns a bunch of retail chains. They own the department store Belk. They own Talbots. They own The Limited. They own Nine West. So I get that they're sort of retail experts. That said, the whole idea for private equity is that you take a business, you, 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 you cut it up, or you do something with it so that there's some sort of exit down the road. That's the entire idea. It's not like I'm going to hold this thing forever. So what is the private equity plan here when, as you just said, there don't seem to be any strategic buyers for this business. Yeah, it's a great question. And there's not an obvious answer. I mean, they're say, not going to IPO, then, right? I mean, I mean, potentially you could see this thing going back in the public markets, although you would have to see um, unusual, historically very unusual market conditions for them to try and do that. What I would say on Sycamore that's interesting is they are relatively small in terms of doing retail stuff. I mean, yes, they're specialists in this area. But, but those are pretty small. But nothing right. comes close to right. $7 billion. I yeah. mean, hot topic. Like, these are tiny brands that are nothing like Staples. Cerberus, on the other hand, the other party who is late in the process, they do have experience with big retail. They obviously own Albertsons and some, some other kind of big names. It's going to be very interesting to see what Sycamore do with this business, sort of how they you know, in, in private equity parlance, sweat the asset to, to make it um, a success and, and how they get out of it. I don't know whether whether they try and merge it into some other strategic, whether they think that long term there is there is a way of, of modifying this business model to actually make it part of, I don't know, the online success, whether they do something with Amazon, who knows? I mean, look, these, these, these are smart guys, and I'm sure they do have a plan. It's not immediately apparent what that would be. I guess you could always sell the real estate for real estate, which sometimes happens. You know, I remember, I think it was Starbucks that bought a bunch of Sprint stores. You know, so so there can be some crossover there. Uh, and I and I do know that Sycamore has, uh, I I believe at least that the plan here is to focus on separating the business to some degree, uh, where you separate the brick and mortar Staples business from the delivery business, which Staples has, Staples has gotten into in recent years, you know, where they do sort of same-day delivery of office supplies. If you're able to do that, maybe you could then merge the delivery business with an Amazon or a Walmart or something like that that's getting into that game a little bit. Yeah, more. I was going to say, I mean, the difficulty here, and, and we sort of keep touching on on Amazon, and deliberately so, because they are, you know, they're doing this in the restaurant space, they're doing I guess with, they want brick and mortar everyone, too right? now they're, to I buy mean, Whole Foods. This, this right? is yeah. the thing, Amazon <laughs> are eating everyone's lunch, or eating, in this case, maybe everyone's pens and pencils, but, they, they, you know, yes, they can separate the staples, like, online day-to-day -day delivery business, but guess what? Amazon also does online day-to-day -day delivery of office supplies, so you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but do you have a Staples app on your phone where you go and download your pens? No. If I want to buy some office supplies, probably use Amazon. You are correct, Ed. I do not have a Staples app on my phone, nor do I think any listeners listening to this do. But if I'm wrong, feel free to tweet at me or email me, um, although that'll be a pretty boring tweet or email. But anyways, let's move on to the second deal here, uh, Walgreens and Rite Aid. So this had been a deal that was agreed to last year. $9.5 billion. It has been kicking around the FTC for a while at this point because of antitrust concerns that this would be too much consolidation in the drug industry. And even before Walgreens got an answer, they come out uh, and say, look, we're going to do a different deal. 
where instead we'll just buy 2,186 Rite Aid stores for $5.2 billion. Is this a surprise? No. Uh, it's, if anything, it's a surprise that they have come up with a recut deal at all rather than just walking away. I mean, this is a deal that has struggled and struggled and struggled. They have offered various remedies um, to get over the kind of antitrust concerns and I think time and again have been told or it's been suggested to them that the remedies weren't sufficient. So what they've been doing is they've been pushing back the date for getting this deal done over and over again. And it was kind of apparent to a lot of people in the market, I think, that there was a fairly high chance this wouldn't go through. Or if it did go through, it would go through in such a kind of uh, diminished way that it would be a very, very different deal. And they had already previously cut the price of the deal because it just was not going to happen in the, in the originally envisaged um, uh, way. So so what they've done today is interesting because they basically said, look, the remedies are not going to happen. We obviously can't get there on that. So we will just buy the stores that we can buy and can absorb into Walgreens without having huge antitrust issues. The, the really interesting question it raises is what does this mean for Rite Aid? Because you now have this much reduced Remain Co um, without an obvious strategic buyer. I mean, CVS perhaps could come in and buy pieces of it, although they would also have some antitrust issues. So you, you have a lot of assets in one company now in Rite Aid and no obvious kind of, uh, I suppose, M&A exit for them, although private equity could be looking at them because they're obviously much, much smaller now. Could Is it possible they could end up being a buyer here? Because part of this original deal, there was this smaller drugstore chain called Fred's yeah. that was going to acquire 1,200 Rite Aid stores. Maybe Rite Aid could buy Fred's instead of the other way around? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, the, the, the problem with these businesses is that you have so much... Um, there's so much overlap in what they do. I mean, they essentially all do the same thing, right? One pharmacy is much like another. Um, so it's very difficult in terms of getting the antitrust case right because in each individual market, and by that, that could be each high street or each neighborhood, you have to kind of come up with a different, like, is this appropriate? Is this, is that appropriate? So it's a very, it's, it's not a straightforward, you know, one can just absorb the other. I'm sure you could see some combination between Rite Aid and Fred's and maybe even a reversal of what, um, Fred's were going to do in terms of picking up the Rite Aid stores. But it wouldn't be straightforward. You could, uh, very unlikely one could buy the other or absorb the other in its entirety. And actually, just looking at Fred's now, I mean, they have been hammered this morning. Shares down about 23%. Um, market absolutely kind of wiping them out because basically the idea was that Fred's subscale operator doesn't really have huge relevance in this in this space. Through this merger, picking up the divestitures from the Rite Aid Walgreens merger, they were going to get a lot of scale very quickly. That would make them relevant, make them a kind of a real player. That's not happened. So they remain this kind of um, irrelevant, it's perhaps harsh, but this this very, very small player in a very big market. And um, investors are not rewarding them for it. I should note, we are recording this on the Thursday of this past week uh, and releasing this show on Monday because of the 4th of July holiday. So when Ed says this morning... Uh, he's talking about it because we're recording this on a Thursday. Uh, one more deal to talk about, Sky and Fox. Uh, so the idea here was that uh, Fox wanted to buy the remainder of Sky that it didn't own. Uh, first of all, before we get into this, Ed, since people can tell from your accent, you are a a former citizen of the, of the UK. Uh, what is Sky? What is Sky? That's interesting. I mean, it's many things. I suppose it's this a, is an existential question. Yeah, it is. It's a thing above us. It's a cycle racing That's team. Right. It's a this is a sort of TV channel. It, it invented um, really like sort of heavily televised sports in in the UK. I mean, Sky Sports was historically and is still today probably the preeminent um, 
outlet for uh, for televised sports in the UK. So Sky is is a UK media company that, that there has been, I'm trying to think back, but it's gone on for years, more than five years, this idea of uh, Rupert Murdoch kind of uniting his um, his empire in the UK. And it's always been met with political resistance because the idea is that you have, and I hate trying to say this word, but you have plurality um, of ownership under Murdoch if he is able to unite these things. He essentially has too much control over the the UK media and what people are watching and crucially also what people are reading because he owns a huge stable of newspapers there, albeit through separate entities. It is worth saying, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that uh, the Murdoch influence in the UK is not quite the same as what we know of the Murdoch influence in the United States. In other words, it's not like he's making everything sort of extremely right leaning in the UK. Is that right? Well, I mean, the sports, it, it, it's less. Instance, it's or? less so partly because I think there is just um, less appetite for that particular right. political persuasion in the UK, particularly on, on, the, on the extreme end of it. That said, Murdoch does have a huge influence in the UK. There's, you know, it's often said when the um, when the government is elected in that it was the Sun what won it, and the Sun obviously is is a famously Murdoch owned paper. I think was his first, the first newspaper he owned, um, certainly in the UK, possibly outside Australia, his his home country at all. Um, so he does known for its topless photographs, right? It's page three, girls, precisely. It's topless photographs, um, and it's and it's sort of uh, fairly. Uh, how do we say this politely, sort of lightweight approach to issues of the day, um, almost slapstick. Um, so, so yes, he, he wields huge influence in the UK, both in the printed media and in the uh, broadcast media space. But you're right, it's, it's slightly less um, of one political persuasion. You, you see, you know, various opinions appear in the Murdoch papers, although he does... I think uh, skew slightly to the right, and you probably you see him more often than not favor conservative governments. And of course, I should note, even in the United States, Fox owns more than Fox News. Fox owns a big sports empire here too. Uh, so, but anyways, what we learned this week was that regulators are more or less punting on the idea, so they're not weighing in one way or the other. Uh, you know, UK Culture Secretary Karen Bradley coming out saying this issue of media plurality. Uh, I need more information to figure out whether or not this is really going to cause a major public interest issue uh, on this deal. Uh, from investors that are looking at this, what should they think about this decision? Is this surprising? Do you feel like this leans one way or the other? No, it it does exactly what you say. It punts it. I think the the thing that investors are obviously taking from this, and you're seeing that reflected in the shares which are up this morning, is... They, the worst option is off the table here, right? They could have killed this deal dead. They could have they could have said, there's no way this is happening. It gives him far too much uh, influence over the public. It creates a clear public interest issue. Um, we're blocking the deal. And that hasn't happened. The, the fact that that hasn't happened is being seen by the market by and large as a positive. Yes, it gets punted down the road. I think it's 24 weeks that they said they need in addition to do that. But within the context of this deal, which Murdoch has been talking about for, as I say, you know, at least five or six years, that's not actually a hugely long period of time. You also have, in the in the current government, in the Conservative government, you have um, a government that, let's say, is perhaps more favourable to these kind of deals. Uh, I think certainly the the alternative government, the Labour government, of um, it, were they to be in power today, I think it would be much harder to see this deal go through. The one great unknown here, of course, is that you have so much political instability in the UK and you have a prime minister who potentially is not going to be in the job for that much longer. You could see political change, which would throw this thing back into disarray uh, in, a, in a very sort of unpredictable way. Do we have any idea of what the broader Fox plan is here? Because look, Fox 
tried to merge with Time Warner a couple of years ago uh, in a hostile bid. That went nowhere, and of course, Time Warner was bought by AT&T. The Sky deal has been hovering out there for a little while. If the deal gets done, or if it doesn't get done, is there any sense on what Fox's broader plan is here? You never know with these family-owned companies because... Yeah, they're shareholders, but ultimately it's sort of like whatever the Murdoch family wants to do. Uh, look, Rupert Murdoch's getting up there in age. We have started to see some indications that his sons maybe don't think about the world in quite the same way he does. We've seen ridiculous deterioration in terms of the big names and the talent at Fox News. Recently, there were hints uh, about a year ago that Fox was thinking about maybe going into some other digital media type business. We haven't really seen that play out yet. But the world of cable TV is not one on the upswing anymore, and that has always been Fox's bread and butter. So if that is not a robust business anymore, any idea of what they might want to do next? I wish I had an idea, and then I could be a like highly overpaid investment media, banker, yeah, or media strategist, or, media or consultant, strategist. or something. That's right. I mean, look, th- this is an area you know far better than I. I, I think what, as you say, what's been very interesting is you've seen this like enormous exodus of, I guess we can call it talent, um, in in industry speak from Fox, uh, in the in the past year or so, and. Again, as as you say, the the younger Murdochs, although they're not that much younger, the younger Murdochs um, seem to have a slightly different way of wanting to run this company than Rupert Murdoch. And obviously, Rupert Murdoch is certainly of his generation, possibly of all history, the, the you know one of the most iconic and successful media owners. And he built these companies in his own image, and it would be very interesting to see how the succession issue is dealt with, and if it if it if it is dealt with successfully or if actually you see these companies become something much less than they are today. Yeah, I think that's that's the big question. And, and, and maybe we'll see what happens in Fox News over the next uh, year or two without Bill O'Reilly and without Megyn Kelly and without uh, Roger Ailes and, and without Bill Shine and without some of the other major players at Fox News. Does that continue to become, you know, or continue to maintain itself as the behemoth it has become just because there's no really other competing product out there or is it possible that under a new Murdoch leadership, you know, that channel maybe becomes more tame and and there becomes a even more, uh, you know, radical right wing uh, news outlet either online or on television that starts to rip away viewers? We will see. So that's it for this week's edition. Uh, thank you, Ed Hammond, uh, Bloomberg M&A reporter, for joining me here. Remember, you can catch all of our episodes on the Bloomberg Terminal or, or Bloomberg.com. Uh, or listen on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. Please rate and review the show if you get a chance there. It helps more listeners find us. Also, feel free to follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Ed, where can people find you on Twitter? At Ed Hammond NY. Sarah Patterson is our producer. Alec McCabe is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. See you next week. <laughs>